the men's right movement. When people hear a bunch of guys talking about gender, you know, if you grew up around the 2010s, men's right activists or MRAs are usually the first thing that people think about. The men's right movement had its heyday in the 2010s, but men have been complaining about their so-called rights for a long time now. Now, don't get me wrong. There are a bunch of things that men specifically have been led to believe it's just not fair or it's just not right. But when I mean that MRAs complain, they're complaining about issues that if you look a few steps deeper, they can find an equitable solution. But for the most part, MRAs and the men's rights movements have all set their targets on one thing, feminism. This is what separates MRA movements and the rest of the men's movements. Their steadfast vitriol against women and feminism, which they blame all of their problems on. No matter how absurd their argument is, it started from somewhere. And it's been around longer than you may think. The modern version of it also started from an unlikely source. Now, this episode is not only a breakdown where it started up until before the internet started. That's going to take another episode, by the way. But a breakdown of their most popular and hateful rhetoric as well and on its most infamous tragedy. This is the history of modern manhood. Right movement is something that I wanted to dig deeper into because I really wanted to know where it all came from. All I knew before from MRAs and MRMs was this that they were misogynist and hateful and sexist. And honestly, from what I read from one of the speeches and stuff when I found online in 2010s and the 2013s, I knew that to be true. Like it was really easy to understand how sexist and how misogynist these, these people were. However, the more I dug into the history and actually engaging the with the issues that MRMs and MRAs present, things like divorce, things like family court, um, and even just questioning some of the gender roles that they had, I found one thing clear, that the MRM does present issues that are worthy to discuss. However, the solutions that they raise or the blame that they direct to is completely off base which is really, really annoying to me <laughs> because these men and these people could be working to create a community that is great at speaking out at some of the things that get kind of missed out in today's world. Yet they spend a lot of their time blaming women and feminists in particular. So today I brought along Samantha Ensezi from the Masculinity Podcast and one of the producers of Modern Manhood. I'm sure you've heard her voice if you follow Cold Takes, which you should, by the way, or any of the Modern Manhood stuff that we've done before. She's wonderful at providing context and ideas and just a good reaction that fits right alongside the madness that the MRMs and the MRA movement bring. So I hope you enjoy. Hey, Samantha, how are you? I am great. 
beautiful day, week, month in Oakland, California has been awesome. So, oh man, you gotta complain. brag that you're brag that you're always in California. Every time that you're like, I'm in California, sunny California. What's the weather like over there? <laughs> my bad. I don't even know. It's really warm in my place, though. I don't know. Yeah, it's like really warm, but. Yeah, it hasn't been it hasn't been cold enough for me to have to check the weather. Let's put it that way. Yeah, so yeah, summertime, yeah. summertime yeah, in California yeah. must be amazing. I, yeah. <laughs> I always like. Oh, I can't even imagine the beach and it's. Oh, you gotta come out. You gotta come out. I will. I will. I will come out. Samantha, who are you? <laughs> Why are you here? Yes. <laughs> Please tell uh, me who you are. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Samantha and Zessie. I am. That's a kind of, it feels like a, like a deep question, but really you're just asking me. <laughs> Who are you? <laughs> yeah. I'm here because, you know, you and I have been working together mm-hmm. at the Next Gen Men podcast network, which has been mm-hmm. great. And I host a podcast called Masculinity, spelled with a K, kind of talking a little bit about what we're talking here, but maybe more on an existential level, yes. which is my fault, but also my doing. That I is. But yeah, just excited to wrap about masculinity, gender equity. Like that's where I stand at all times. So I'm glad to be here. Awesome. Yeah, I'm so space. excited that you're here. I I booked you for this episode because I feel like I think you would have a lot to say for this. And it's 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 interesting looking back on it and looking to see where these things start. What are we talking about? Samantha, what do you know about men's rights? Okay, the unfiltered answer to that yes. is that I know that men's rights movements typically have like one good argument, which is that fathers are not treated like fairly in court. Mm-hmm. And the rest of it is just like wanting to bother like, men, like women only spaces, wanting to like basically b- behaving as if men's issues operate in a vacuum and like yes. feminists are to blame. Yes. And like not taking into account what patriarchy is, like how patriarchy came to be, like they just act like everything's happening in a vacuum. That's kind of how I have learned about the MR. Got it. Yeah. Got it. I, you know what? MR- Episode's over. M- Thanks, everyone. Have a good night. <laughs> I think that was it. <laughs> no, you got it. You got it. That was, that's exactly like, I think the main crux of, of, of men's rights and men's rights activists and who we're going to call MRAs. But we are going to talk, like today's episodes, we're going to talk about just men's rights and where this, this idea came from and where it actually started and originated. So I began thinking about just the season in general from an article that I read was from 1914. And, and I was like thinking about it, it's like, how did this thing began? And like, and so everything came from that. And when I started researching about men's rights, it actually began around that same time too so like this idea of of men needing rights specifically and of course it's like like that's so surprising <laughs> by the way that's like so surprising but anyways yeah. yeah okay so why is it surprising for you well because what rights did men need in 1914 like you were the only ones who had rights in 1914 women didn't yeah. get the right to vote until later you know and i feel like the unspoken here is that it's white men, right? So it's like, mm-hmm. you know, anybody who wasn't white didn't get that right. So like what what right did you what rights did you not have? That's kind of what I'm like wondering. Yeah. And I yeah. think we'll get to it. And I think the 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 idea that you put down of being like really connected to this thought of fathers is like the main crux of this. And it all like when we think about men's rights nowadays, and I think what in the title of like men's rights, of course, you're like, wait, like 
like the idea of humanity in general like anytime like like i'm just thinking of like the french declaration of like of like free speech free rights it's just it became like it's this man like it was a man thing yeah yeah men's rights literally yeah literally men's rights right so it was this idea that like when we think about mankind it's man it's just that that's the that's the default right but in this time around this era was this idea that the family was changing and the idea of family the idea of nuclear family or the, the nuclear family thought was going to be a little bit later but like just what um the idea of what it was to be a family it started to change around this time and that came from industrialization that came from women getting the right to vote and also women getting paid for work it's not women going to work because women have been working for a long period of time just women getting paid to work and the and i talked about this in the first episode that i did with jake was that because of that change there was this kind of panic as there was oh, women are going to work. What are the men going to do? Who's going to raise the children, blah, blah, blah. And so there was this push to say, you know, mothers should stay at home. And because it's such a virtue to be a mother and that's its own work. And so <laughs> all of these things kind of coalesced into what we think of as men, quote unquote, losing rights. And it's all losing rights in regards to the family. So. I'm really glad that you picked that up right at the top. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's begin. Let's begin in 1856 in a magazine called Putnam's Monthly. It's a magazine that publishes articles on literature, science, politics, and art. And they had an article called A Word for Men's Rights which responded to the growing suffragette movement in the U.S., as we talked about, and highlighting some of the laws that the writer noted to be a sexist against men. In it, the author talks about how the rights of men were talked frequently during independence and revolutionary times, as we just talked about. But as the author notes, quote, In 60 years, however, fashions have changed. The rights of men, once in everybody's mouth, are seldom heard nowadays, unless it be an abolition convention, or if mentioned at all. In Congress or other respectable places, these rights, once the hope of humanity, are referred to only to be sneered at as a flourish of rhetoric, a chimera of the imagination. And he goes on to say that women's rights are in vogue now, feminism is all cool now, you know, <laughs> and begrudgingly admits that having women's right to vote is similar of America's asking for its freedom. So he kind of like makes this, this idea that being like, you know what, it's, 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 it's good. It's in general, it's a good thing. And there may be a reason as to why women are really angry around this time because of this growing movement. And then he goes on to say, and I, say, I wrote it here, the first recorded All Lives Matter are like, I'm all for human rights. Spot <laughs> Instead on. of like women's rights. And kickers it to one of the first, they, they may be, they're going too far. <laughs> like this is the, I think the first recorded, like, it's like, I love these rights, but they're going too far. It's, so, it's so perfect. It's like so perfect. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> quote, so here's the quote. Yeah. Putnam, and as the magazine, Putnam is for reform. Putnam is for progress. Putnam is for women's rights, but also for men's rights, for everybody's rights. And in that spirit, we're going to offer a few hints to our legislatures whose vaulting zeal on behalf of the ladies seem a little in danger of overleaping itself and jolting onto the other side. It is well to stand straight, but not well to tumble over backwards in attending to do so. This is so similar to me. <laughs> it's wild. 
Yeah. Right? It's 1856, and it's like, we're in 2022, and they're saying the same shit now. Mm-hmm. Same exact thing now. It's wild. Yeah. yeah. It's like, oh, yeah, no, you're going too far. You're going too far. You're, you're being sexist towards the other side now. This article, though, specifically talks about a specific law in which the author believes is kind of unfair to men. And it specifically talks about who owns who in marriage. And if that person owns someone, i.e. if the man owns a woman during marriage, and this is around the time, this is what was going on, and is responsible for her, then he's also responsible for whatever she does. So including criminal activities and debts. So he even got to talk about the public opinion and how it looks bad on the man if the wife does anything weird or illegal. So around this time, w- women, if they were in marriage, they were the property of the man. If, and, and women at this time, to kind of like subvert this idea, we're saying like, okay, well, if I were to do anything illegal, it's, it's going to be your fault because you didn't do anything about it. And so this was thought of as, as unfair at this time. And he says, yeah, you know, it's, it, you have to read the whole article, but it's really cool. I'll link it in the notes. But yeah. he goes on to say, he kind of is like, yeah, it's a little harsh. Yeah, I don't know why you would want to continue with the English laws because it's still America. But he's like, women just be crazy, you know? <laughs> Basically what he says. Isn't that ever, the root of everyone's problem? I women know. being crazy? That's really... Dude. That's kind of what, like, the, the gist of this article. So, this is the law at this time. The law is clear that you cannot hit your wife. In 1856, you cannot hit your wife. You cannot lock her up. The woman can leave, and he cannot compel her to come back. He can sue people for taking her wife, but then only for a small amount. And soon enough, if that happens, the wife can take control of her own property. Also, if the wife beats up her husband, there's nothing the guy can do. He's going to have to pay. And all of this is due to some weird law in which if the women's agrees to getting married to a guy, then they have to be married. And if that happens, then she could have a fake marriage and could take his property. <laughs> he goes to say, like, listen, it doesn't happen a lot. However, it might happen. <laughs> Here we go. Here yeah. we go. This hypothetical. The potential, hypothetical scenarios. Like, yes. can we deal with reality? Yeah, slippery slope. He also goes to say some racist thing about the Chinese, but uh, that's, that's another part of the <laughs> article as well. Yeah, it's definitely. <laughs> so this, this law was interesting because it's basically saying that, this, and this was a real thing that was going on at the time. So if a man were to say, I'm going to get married to you, then the women is like, there, there's a kind of a contractual obligation to say, we need to get married. And, and they need to consummate this marriage, right? If, so if for example, the women, the man consummates this, this engagement, but they don't get married, then the women at that time would be considered non-virgin and less quality for marriage. And so the woman at that time had a right to sue the man for not getting married to him because of this. (laughs) And so this is what he was arguing about. He's like, this is unfair for the man. And even though he's like, it doesn't happen a lot, but it might happen. And the slippery slope kind of thing. Does that make sense? No, but I think Uh, I get get where where you're getting at. And like, it's just interesting to me how patriarchy creates this. That's like a, a pigeonhole. That is a mm-hmm. pigeonhole. Like that's like the only power that a woman has. Exactly. And so it's like you expect them not to use it. And even at that, it was still rare, right? Because like yes. obviously women are functioning under patriarchy as well. So it's like, yeah, 
So this is what he's talking about was like over pushing. For... Basically what he's talking about about this. And also because like like because the the husband doesn't have and also at the time if a woman does something illegal or something weird, whatever weird he reports that there is something that it goes back to the man. Like everything gets folded onto the man. And that's something that he thought was like you know, women's rights are going on. This is in vogue. Like we should be fighting for that. However, let's take a look at, look at this too because it's also sexist. So anyways, the article, it's called A Word for Men's Rights, it was published in February of 1856, can be honestly considered the first MRA screed. And it's amazing because it has all the classics of the MRAs in the future. Quote, random misogyny and gender essentialism, classic. Complaining about false accusations, classic. Still 8% people, still 8%. Yes. (laughs) Complaining about marriage law that may be unfair, but coming up with the wrong solution, just like you said. And a little bit of mild racism to boot. That's that's classic MRA stuff. This is all going to be a part of the the idea of the MRAs at the time, I, until now. Blended. So again, really interesting. We'll get back to this. Just wanted to let you know some of the instances of anti-feminism that was going on at the time. Now, before I get into some people arguing about me in the comments or just like yelling at me about this, okay, because I've heard this many times. Anti-feminism and MRAs are not one in the same ideology. Anti-feminism has basically all to do with opposing feminism in a particular way. And men's right has a specific idea that they're fighting for a hidden or invisible form of discrimination, quote unquote, surrounding men. However, I haven't found them yet. It'd be hard to press to find an MRA who's not an anti-feminist. I have never found an MRA who's not an anti-feminist. So that's why I'm going to lump it in together. Because these instances are going to note that anti-feminists were specifically asked for men's rights. So that's why I do that sometimes and, they, and people will be like, well, that's anti-feminist. It's not really MRA. Again, find me an MRA who's not an anti-feminist. I, 100%. I, I don't, I've never found one. They so, literally blame feminism for everything. Like, how could you? Yeah. Or wait, let me guess women. Not all women are feminists. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah, they'll mm-hmm. all they blame women. They'll, mostly, and you'll see it in 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 later thing. They'll they'll blame feminists the most. They'll put women in a catch twenty two. They'll put women in a I think in a double bind, as you'll see, like the like the damned if you do, damned if you don't kind of situation. So I think that's something you think. But anyways, that was eighteen fifty six. That's like the first thing that I I found of men's of a word of men's rights. The first thing that actually said men's rights in general. 1856. That's that's where you got it. What do you think about that? I think that this makes me question humanity's ability to evolve <laughs> because it's like after everything we've learned and everything we've done, I think it's like what we want to do is still cling to what we believe rather than what the facts are. Mm-hmm. And I think that this is no different. I think that people are going to continue to want to further their own agendas and find little bits and pieces of like, you know, facts to support that rather than to take a look at the whole picture, which I think yeah. is wholly missing. Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's really interesting around the history, especially of the modern MRAs, which we'll get to as to why, how did this happen? But let's go back to 1900s. So a lot, because a lot of anti-feminism did happen in the 1900s, obviously, because the suffragist movement was going on at that time. I just wanted to highlight some of the organizations that popped up, not only to oppose the suffragette movement, but also to promote men's rights. Because that's the thing that that's the interesting part of this. It's not just like, you know, ah, oh, women are asking for the votes and that's awful. But like, this is people who are like men's rights only specific thing. We talked 
earlier in episode one, if you would have listened, if you listened to it, there was something called the League for Helping League of Men Helping like women's suffrage. So there was like kind of these like male feminists that were helping the suffrage movement. At the same time, though, there was something called the League of Men's Rights, which formed in 1926. So along with the Justice League for Family Law Reform in the Equitas World's League for Men's for the Rights of Men, in 1927, they were the biggest men's rights group. And their biggest gripe is you've read the forward is this idea of paternity. And that's what he said, family law. They were concerned with their requirement to pay child support for illegitimate children. Child support, by the way, is like the thing. <laughs> <laughs> this is the the main crux of MRAs is child support. <laughs> that whole thing to me is, and I don't know enough about like the depths mm-hmm. of like child support and like the like legal mechanisms and stuff, but I'm like. What this is essentially asking you to do is to pay for your kid to like mm-hmm. live. You know, yeah. like, that's all that it's asking. It's not asking you to like buy Jordans for your baby's mom. It's no. not asking you or, you know, whatever they were wearing at the time. I don't know. But you know what I mean? Like it's like <laughs> it's clothes. <laughs> whatever, clothes. Like it's, you Just know, haircuts, vanities. <laughs> Monocles. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, and it's anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Child support. We'll go back to child support in a bit. And on what the On Men's Rights article argued about, that some women can claim paternity to a man willy-nilly and just take all their property, as we talked about. All three of these groups were established in Austria, by the way. Now, why the hell did three separate groups of men's rights activists arguing about child support sprout up in Austria? Yeah. It's because of something called Kranzgeld. Have you ever been to Austria? Do you know how to speak Austrian? I, I know I you're do. a pretty cultured person. So. Oh, that's very sweet. Thank you. No, unfortunately. Okay. <laughs> okay. I was wondering if I'm pronouncing this right. Kranzgeld. A Kranzgeld is a heart bomb or a breach of a promise. This is when a man would call off an engagement or cause it to be broken off because of infidelity after having sex with the woman. The woman would get compensation for this, as we talked about. So you see a woman who was not a virgin at those times would diminish the expectations to find a good match. So because of society, that means that the action was unfair and be worth of money. So there was also a heart bomb action in the U.S. And that's why you saw that guy write about it in Putnam's Monthly. He was angry about this. This is the thing that he was angry about. A heart bomb could be paid as well if there was a seduction, criminal conversation, alienation of affection, or a breach of promise to marry. And I guess by the early 1900s, this became kind of a racket. There was an article in the Washington Post in 1915 describing a woman named Myrtle McGee great name by the way who would seduce wealthy widower men and or create a relationship with their daughters destroy evidence and pretend to be engaged with this man and launch a lawsuit against them so this became kind of a like a paranoia for men so this is from the smithsonian magazine quote in fact it was only one in a long line of scandalous seedy and overreported cases in which unscrupulous women tried to blackmail wealthy men out of large sums of money helped along by a weird little piece of legislation that allowed people to sue their exes after a broken engagement. So this has became like the, you know what it reminds me of? Like the welfare queen thing. Like, you know, like the, this kind of like paranoia, like this person is like, like, you know, screwing the system and, you know, they're, and not only that, that this person is like specifically like targeting these wealthy men to just like take their money. And Which is yeah. like, oh, oh my God, the poor wealthy men that had extramarital affairs and now they're not marrying these people. 
That's yeah, what's happening, right? It's like you're sleeping with mistresses and you're not marrying them because you're staying with your wife. Yeah. And, that's... and so, yeah. So the, this specific thing, the, the, the idea with Myrtle McGee was because she was seducing oh, widowers. widowers. Yeah. And create a relationship with their daughters and be like, oh, hey, I'm your friend and stuff like that. And then pretend to be engaged with the man and then launch a list. It's like, hey, I was engaged with the man. You know, like we had a relationship together and it would be hard to prove. And then it would be like, no, you owe this person money now. Again, it was not highly reported. I'm pretty sure that Myrtle may have, may have existed, but I don't know how often this happened. <laughs> Same thing with the welfare queen thing. I'm like, I don't think this happened often, but it became the story that, yep. that people got really pissed about. And the MRAs were pissed <laughs> about this law in particular. Have you seen these? I, I put it in the script here. This is a little thing I found in, this is 1926 in the New York Times. This little thing uh, says here, Vienna, March 9th, a league for men's right was founded here today to protect men against Austrian feminism, which has grown rapidly since the war. Its immediate objects are to keep divorced husbands from paying too much alimony and repeal the new law where their mother's statement is sufficient to establish paternity involving the support of a child. Again, child support probably helped her mom's law. So, yeah. So, in fact, the MRA leagues that were created to form to fight this law so in March 10th, 1926, that little New York Times thing was shown to advertisement. And the issue is that feminists didn't really like this law either. either. Like they, they thought this law was kind of unfair and also made women look dependent. You know what I mean? Yeah. They wanted independence, right? So it's not like, like the feminists were like, yeah, no, we, this law's kind of suck. And they were <laughs> too. So, so the nature of work was changing and women were able to make their own money, but not as much as guys, of course. That's always the case. But it was there. Debbie Dix wrote about the dependency of women, quote, It is gallantry gone to seed. And moreover, it is not justice for a woman capable of bringing suit is perfectly able to take care of herself in a love affair or any business deal. So yeah, the feminists were just like, yeah, this law kind of sucks too. Because mm -hmm. it, it makes us look weak as well too. So yeah. And never mind the whole issues that they came into place because men didn't like women who were not virgins. <laughs> and honestly, like... If I can just say, like, that's my fundamental problem with this, right? You're talking yeah. about men's rights. You're talking about, like, oh, like, let's make sure, like, you're still subject, like, you're fundamentally talking about your right to subjugate people. Right. This is all within, like, the, the context of you subjugating a whole population of people. Mm -hmm. And, like, your only complaint is that you don't get to keep on, like, subjugating them. Like, it's, like, yeah. not, it's crystal clear. You yeah, know? absolutely. Absolutely. And also, like, again, it's women who didn't who were not virgin. And I'll like, but like, how do you prove this? How do you prove at that time? That some they weren't male doctor who because no women were doctors then. So like, you know, <laughs> yeah. <sighs> and, and it's like you had like the Nairo years. So you had to make sure that the sex didn't happen before. Like, it's such a private affair. Like, I, I wouldn't know many people who go through the hassle to be like, yo i wasn't a virgin at the time like it would be such an like invasive like so many questions would be asked like there would be so many stupid doctors like trying to it's just That's i can't even can't, i yeah. can't even imagine like trying to prove that you're that you're not a virgin like so at that time yeah <laughs> And just that way, I'm just like, I, 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 that's why I really question the amount of people actually trying to do it. Yeah. To be fair, there were some women who did use this law to their own advantage. 
but it never matched the reporting or the hysteria around it, just like the welfare queen. And of course, a lot of men were blaming feminism because of this, or <laughs> devious women. So, yeah, sorry, go ahead. You were going to say mean, the thing. No, I mean, all I was going to say, the, the women are devious, right? And I'm not condoning anybody mm -hmm. grifting. I don't think that grifting is cool. I do have a lot more compassion. Definitely, like, for example, people, like, doing the whole, like, if there is a child support grift. I mean, I do know that there are people who do, you know, wild shit around child yeah. support today. Like, that's not right, you know? Like, mm -hmm. women now are in a position where they can actually, like, go buy a house and whatever. They can, like, have a job and everything. Mm -hmm. But you're still talking about, like, systemic subjugation that literally leaves, leaves you absolutely no other choice. What the hell else would Myrtle McGee do if she yeah. decided that she didn't want to live with somebody who, like, hits her or, like, exactly. or simply just, just wants to... It not even, doesn't even have to be violence. It just, like, wants just, like, her simple, just, like, light. She just wants freedom. Yeah. Like, how, how else is she supposed to get that if she's deemed as property? Like exactly. How, you know? Exactly. Right. And also, like, what kind of jobs and positions that were available to women at this time, right? Like, I, like this, my, yes, it's a grift, but I'm also, like, it's a, if somebody gets caught up in this kind of situation, I'm sure it doesn't, like, it didn't happen a lot as much as it, it at, at the paranoia around it. And also, like, I just, <laughs> in some these cases, the 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 trying to prove like the whole like like actual seduction part of it and organization part of it. <laughs> Sometimes I'm just like Myrtle, you go, girl. I don't like that is a lot of work to do. <laughs> yeah, a little bit impressive. That's kind yeah. of impressive in a, in a weird impressive. fucked up way. Yeah, for yeah, sure. Yeah, it really is. So. Anyways, why am I spending a lot of time in this heart bomb law thing? Well, first of all, because it did begin kind of like the men's right thing. But it also became the paranoia of like false accusations, which kind of continues on. And also mm -hmm. the paranoia about child support and the blaming of women and feminists about it. This is These are become themes of like the MRAs. This is in the DNA, I would say, of the, of the modern men's rights movement. And one of the touchstones of this movement is the book, The Myth of Male Power. And was written by ex-feminists turned into the godfather of MRAs, Warren Farrell. Do you know Warren Farrell? I've heard sporadically about this person. I think he was mentioned in that one Red Pill documentary I watched. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. He was considered the godfather of the MRAs, the modern MRA movement. The, the one that you know now, Warren Farrell is the one who really popularized it and really uh, thrown it up and rooted it from this. And his story is actually very fascinating. Because he is, you know, when, when you see like some, some grifter right wing person that was like, I used to be a liberal and I used to be progressive and now Reagan. I'm this. <laughs> yeah. Even like somebody like, like, like dumbasses like Tim Pool or like somebody else was like, I used to be a liberal and now I hate them and blah, blah, blah. Warren Farrell actually was a straight up bona fide feminist. Like he was in feminist organizations. He was friends of feminists. And then he turned, and <laughs> you, you can guess why he got turned, and I'll, I'll tell you this in a bit. So let's talk about Warren Thomas Farrell. He was born in Queens, New York, in 1943. In the 50s and 60s, Warren grew up seeing his mother move in and out of depression, and her depression was tied into her work. So the reasons Warren's mother's work was in his words, quote, I don't have to ask dad for every penny when I'm working. So at 48, Warren's mother had a dizzy spell because of her depression, and she fell and she died from the fall. Warren's mother had a lasting effect because, as he puts, her mother saw herself as independent from her dad. 
And so instead of mothering him, she would show him how to do things instead. So if asked for an iron shirt, she would be, she wouldn't, she would show him how to iron the shirt instead of like giving him an iron shirt. Um, she died before the second wave of feminism began. So in Warren's words, when he saw the women's movement, it made like a ton of sense to him to kind of get into this. Farrell later earned his bachelor in social sciences, his MA in political sciences, and his PhD in political sciences in 1974. He regularly taught courses in women's studies in San Diego State, Brooklyn College, Georgetown, and Rutgers. But his claim to fame was asking the feminist organization, the National Organization for Women, or now, to establish a pro-feminist men's group. Something that was kind of unheard at this time in 1974. Mm -hmm. It became so successful that 300 other men's groups popped up around the country and Farrell served on the board of directors at NOW for three years. So he was actually kind of like the media darling of feminism at the time, especially in regards to men. He went on talk shows and wrote op-eds. He, in his words, in an article he wrote in 2010 titled, Does Feminism Discriminate Against Men? A debate, this is after he turned, obviously. And, but he was just talking about his old past life. So he said, quote, I found myself at the homes of emerging feminist friends in Manhattan, plopped in front of their husbands with instructions to, quote, tell him what you told me, which I kind of hear a lot that too. So sometimes, hmm. yeah, it's, yeah, unfortunate. Soon I was involved with the National Organization for Women, formed a men's groups, gave up my position as an assistant to the president of NYU, wrote a book called The Liberated Men on the value of women's independence to men, and began speaking around the world on these issues. He was also heavily involved in the men's liberation movement in the 1970s, as we talked before. And in The Liberated Man, the book, he argued that gender roles hurt men too. It's common. So, yeah. yeah. However, by the 1970s, as he noted in the men's liberation episode, there was a lot of progressive issues and the nature of work and marriage was something that was changing and shaping, especially around divorce. Divorce was the big thing. Uh -huh. Like, this is where... In the 1970s, I put that times where divorce rates were skyrocketing. According to Betsy Stevenson and Justin Wolfers in the New York Times, this was due to many women entering the workforce. Again, common theme. Many of the things that needed to be done at the home became more automated. And then when women gained reproductive rights in 1973, <laughs> which are now gone, awful. This was yeah. different from the 50s and 60s where people married mostly because of economic reasons and not so much about love. 50s and 60s were also a time where men were holding a lot of economic power as well. So the feminist revolution, as well as the post-war political and economic upheaval, changed that in the 70s, and people were concerned that this would change the idea of family forever. So family upheaval, work upheaval, women going more into work, family structure changing, rise up of MRAs. Mm -hmm. Same thing that kind of happened in the 1900s. It's kind of interesting how that is, right? It's just weird how it's like so cyclical, you know, yeah. it's like, you know, we, we got the reproductive rights in 1970s. That was just overturned in several states in the United States. Like mm -hmm. we're having the same conversation that we're having now and somehow it's still happening in a vacuum. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Like it's still this conversation of shifting family dynamics because essentially what's happening is that women are gaining independence and being their own people mm -hmm. and that apparently is throwing everything off it's throwing everything out of whack as if you know it's impossible for women to want more than one thing you know like it's you know it's i mean yeah yeah totally it's, it's yeah it's 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 a problem yeah it's interesting as as i was writing this and as i was doing the episodes for all the whole season actually how 
cyclical things were how like these common themes just kept popping up especially with mras like especially like anytime like the the nature of work changed something popped up around gender and around feminism or anti-feminism whatever the case is anytime work changed something popped up like <clears throat> you can draw direct line comparisons to how like child support laws are divorce laws are whatever the case is in regards to rising of mras and you can even say the same thing with the economics right it's such a mm -hmm, we mm -hmm. and it's interesting because like and i think about this right now right like we're going through such a hard economic times and so anytime there's this kind of like hard economic times and the nature of work is changing like it didn't like it did in the pandemic like we need to watch out for these things right oh. like we need to watch out how like these things have risen right like like and i think yeah. people have talked about that a lot like just before even just before with trump getting into power but like this is prime like this is ripe for this kind of shit to pop up again exactly. you know exactly mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. So it's 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 fascinating to me how how that just keeps going over again. Yeah. Anyways, 1970s. So for the feminists like the ones in now, they agreed when a divorce happened that the child would go to the primary caregiver. So this was like the main thing. When it was at the time mostly the women. And this is where Warren Farrell disagreed. So in a 1997 interview, he claims, quote, Everything went well until the mid-70s when now came out against the presumption of joint custody. I couldn't believe the people I thought were pioneers in equality were saying that women should have the first option to have children or not to have children, that children should not have equal rights to their dad. And then he later writes about why he split from the feminists specifically. He said, quote, I began to see men's vulnerability in other ways. After divorce, a man is 10 times as likely to commit suicide as the women. Why? Women are more likely to have the children, someone to love them and need them. People who feel loved and needed rarely committed suicide. So the divorce battle became the battleground against the feminists and the men. And Warren Farrell, when he talked to now and said, we really should actually look for joint custody instead of primary custody. This is where he really like was the break between Warren Farrell and just being like, I'm done with the feminists at that time. Yeah. And honestly, like, in this instance, <laughs> I don't agree with the, the rest of the crap that he says, but in this instance, like, the idea of joint custody, the idea of co-parenting is kind of now kind of like something that is, I don't know what it is in the U.S., but I know in Canada that is something that judges take into consideration. They say, we want to try to keep the family together as best as possible because it is best for the children to have them, to have either the same kind of time spent with the with the two parents yeah. instead of just like having complete primary just custody for one person. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I don't know how it is in the U.S. Is that the same thing? I Do you don't, know? I, you don't I don't, know? I'm not really sure, to be okay. honest. I mean, one thing, though, that strikes me about this is like. I just noticed how the language and I understand, you know, this is like mm -hmm. in the 70s and everything mm -hmm. like we're a little bit less, you know, aware than we are now, but it's like. Everything is framed around like what the children will give him. Yes. Or like what, you know what I mean? Like it's, yep. there's not like, oh, I'll be able to spend time with my family. I'll be yes. able to spend time with whatever. It's all about contributing to his sense of well being, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's like the fact that he's talking about how women are be like are good because basically they have love from the children. It's like because they give love to their children. Mm -hmm. And like that's not what he's, 
kind of capitalizing on when he's like talking about that, which I think is really interesting because it's like, yeah, you know, it's again, it's in a vacuum. <laughs> it's yeah, in a va- it's in a, a patriarchal vacuum of like, yeah. what is how is this going to benefit me? Why are you taking this away from me rather mm-hmm. than taking a look at like how systemically actually none of this works for anyone, which is the kind of original vibe that he was on. Mm-hmm. But then, and like, I completely agree with the joint custody situation. And like, like mm-hmm. I said, that's probably the only thing that, you know, I, I probably agree with when it comes to the men's rights movement. But again, the context is off. The context is off. And also it's interesting as well, because feminists will come around to this, right? But MRAs are still claiming that feminists have always been in the wrong side of this. So they, they're, they're trying to take the children away from the, from the fathers. And this is the idea of like child support, blah, 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 like this. And you're totally right. It is it is not in service for the children. It is in service for the men. <laughs> and it is that is the the main service. And this mm-hmm. is where I think I, I understand Warren's motivations a lot clearer when he said that sentence, because you're totally right. It is he is not thinking about the overall societal egalitarian view of the world he's thinking about just one frame of mind and it is to help men and he saw that even through when he was doing his feminism because he was talking about a lot of things like men's consciousness and like we need to be free from these gender roles so it is very much to like him but would he supporting women in general i don't i'm not sure and it he does have claims to that but at the same time it's like why the sudden shift all of a sudden? You know what I mean? <laughs> I call it the great betrayal. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Mm-hmm. It's totally a betrayal. It's totally a betrayal. And you, yeah. And so at this time, as noted before in the previous episodes, there were men's liberations groups and men's groups that did address men's conscious racism against gender roles. Born for all was a big part of this. However, it failed to address one of the main culprits of men's problems unfettered capitalism <laughs> and the political system that justifies it. We had a bell. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. 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 And that's the thing that they, it's, they, they cannot criticize that enough. And it's, and, and it's so unfortunate that that happens. And because of this, the men's rights movement took this blind spot and made it bigger because without the main systemic critique, people like Farrell made it. So the world was against men in general, but instead of blaming those systems, it blamed women mm-hmm. and it blamed women and feminism. So mm-hmm. this is an example. So, so here's a few points from this 2010 debate that he does with himself. This article, he says it's titled, does feminism discriminate against men? I found that he wrote this all in 2010 from his own website. So, and this is a few points that I will talk about what, where his blind spots are. So this is a quote, <clears throat> industrialization did a better job of creating better homes and gardens for women than it did to create safer coal mines and construction sites for men. How? Now, it's obvious to us, who ran those coal mines? <laughs> and why were women not allowed to work more? <laughs> it's not nothing to do with women in power. <laughs> I'll tell you that much. <sighs> it's, it's so like, simple-minded it's what i'm thinking it's so simple-minded it's like a tunnel it's a yeah. it's a tunnel it's like there's no yeah yeah and why the hell would you assume that women care about better homes and gardens and also why don't men care about that as well like that is the simple thing right this is the, the traditional masculine rhetoric that you're going to hear from feral and it's going to be the calling card of like the modern mras here's another calling card of the mras the draft 
This is from the same debate. He's going to talk about a little bit about abortion here. So, quote, while the male role in industrialization expanded women's options, it retained men's obligations. For example, men voted for women to share the option to vote, but when both sexes could vote, they still obligated only men to register for the draft. Now, I don't know how abortion and the male only draft had to do with the other. <laughs> but again, one. Yeah. <laughs> It is fair to say that that who has been asking to fight for abortion to this day and who has created the features that only men go into battle. So women have been fighting for, for abortion from day one. And also who created the features for only men to go into battle? Men. It has women have not been like part of it. Like they're like we'll talk about this a little bit later, actually. This gets me upset. Yeah, <laughs> I'm see. also ready to fight. But yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So this is something he kind of just brushes off, says like, you know, politicians are just the passengers for voters. And this is what he says, is that like when he like argues with himself, he says like, well, you know, like, like these are the, the, the roles of the politicians who are actually doing this idea of the male only draft. And he's like, well, politicians are just like, they're just the voice of the voters. But he doesn't understand that politicians are part of the system as well and also shape the system that we are in. And it's usually to reinforce it. It's just kind of a myopic view of what politics are. It's just a very simple-minded view of what it is. Yeah. I mean, I feel like it's like, you don't, your target's not good enough. I feel like that's what that's saying, right? It's like mm -hmm. the polit politicians of the target is not good enough. Like, I have to be able to, I need this target, this, like, this person that I'm, or this, this, this congregation or this cohort that I'm blaming to feel yes. my anger. And yes. politicians aren't going to feel your anger. So no. who are you going to turn it to? You know, at the end yeah. of the day, you want to your frustrations to be heard. And like, I think that this is like a prime example of, of, of I mean, I guess it's not continuing, starting this tradition or, yeah, continuing this tradition continuing, yeah. of, you know, blaming someone who's willing to receive the blame. Because yes, <laughs> a lot of women will hear this and be like, you know what? What the fuck? You're ridiculous, blah, blah. But a lot of women will hear and be like, you know what? It really has been hard for the men. Yeah. And like, they'll hear it. <laughs> they'll take it on. They'll internalize it. And then that's how you get move. I mean, that's not how you get movements, but that definitely feeds into movements of like the anti-feminist movements, people mm -hmm. fighting for women to stay home, but like on a prescription level, like not, mm -hmm. oh, women get to choose what they want to do, but it's like, no, this is better for everyone's society. No, it's not. Mm -hmm. It's better for patriarchy to continue doing what it's been doing, yep. which is subjugate women and to create a gender order that literally only men ask for and that women essentially just obliged to, you know? Yeah, yeah. no, absolutely, absolutely. And his argument continues and states that because women... Oh, by the way, have you seen the movie An Officer and a Gentleman? No. So, movie in the 70s, it's where this this woman was having kind of a relationship with somebody who is in the army and somebody who's kind of a pacifist. And and so the the movie is just all about how like there's this kind of like different cultural situation and how like this relates to a chivalry and it's it's kind of a romance, but it's also yeah, and and so he. I'm gonna spoil the end of the. I've never seen the officer or the gentleman, but I heard it's a good movie. I've never watched it before. He says this as proof. This is this is his proof that in the movie, an officer and a gentleman, the girl picks the officer and not the pacifist. And so he uses this proof that women pick what he calls "quote unquote" the killer gene, or in this case, the officer who kills, which in turns, if they breed, would somehow create more killers. But and this is the other 
weird, dumb thing. He also goes to say that if women didn't pick the killer gene before, you know, we would lose World War II. We would all speak in German. <laughs> this is the most asinine thing I've ever heard what? from him to say. <laughs> like, how did you get to that? Lo like, how did you, how did your mind flip and twist to get to that logic? Like, what? I have no idea. And also, I don't know why he thought that this was like his like gotcha thing. Is this because of this movie? And I'm like, first of all, who wrote this movie? It's not going to be this <laughs> woman who wrote this movie. And second of all, the killer gene, what the hell are you talking about? And if he like, and somehow he thinks this killer gene would produce more killers. However, though, if we didn't have killer genes, we would, we, there would be no army and it would just be run by a bunch of sissies and like, <laughs> just, but the reason why I picked this, not only because it's ridiculous, but because it's another part of the DNA of the MRA movement, putting women in a double bind, the damned if you do, damned if you don't. Whatever the case is, whatever choice this woman makes in this movie, it's still wrong. Like, you choose the officer, it'll be this killer gene that supposedly creates more killers. And that's why it's the men are going to die. But if he chooses the pacifist, well, then we're just going to lose wars and then we're just going to be an awful thing. So, like, what is the choice that the woman has to make? Honestly, the choice that the woman has to make in this movie, according to him, would be to choose nobody and to be herself and to be independent. And I bet you any money that Warren Farrell would not like that either. <laughs> Thank you. I'm like, oh, so then women are now not having any kids. And that's how we got the reproduction rights re turned mm -hmm. over because not enough white people are having babies. Like, I mean... Damned if you do, damned if you don't. Exactly. Yeah. And then my question is like, okay, great. So then now where does that leave you, man? Yeah. Now that you've placed all of your blame, all of your, all of your angst, all of your anger toward women, feminists, all of that, like, where does that leave you with your own freedom? Mm -hmm. You know? Mm -hmm. Exactly. Exactly. Right. There is so little choice that the man has to make in this. And it all supposedly is like filtered through this view that the the world is going against them like the world is going against these men and the men have just are just like flailing in the wind are just like they're we're just like you know oh we're God. trying to figure out our world again like because everything is coming at us and honestly if you spend a lot of time any time <laughs> a little time in any <laughs> mra like message board this is the thing that you'll see a lot that you'll hear that like night <laughs> i've heard this and i laughed i was just like that most of the world are feminist and this is why the men i'm just like what are you talking about <laughs> i don't even think honestly i want to see like a survey on how many women in the united states consider themselves feminists because people are here thinking that women are like women are feminists sweetheart no that mm -hmm. is not the case i wish i wish with all my heart that were the case that is not the case at all like this survey in 2018 from Chatelaine, uh, a Canadian magazine, it asked like a thousand men asking to see just different views on what it is to be a man. One of the questions was, would you call yourself a feminist? And I think it was one in 10 of men that would call themselves a feminist. And that is the, yeah, I, I, I don't, that's, that's low. <laughs> that's, and whatever it is the case, it's low. And I, <laughs> Honestly, not to be an asshole, but I kind of feel like that is also like who's asking you the question at the moment. Like, mm -hmm. I feel like that's there's also things like about that moment. And like if you're you if you're it being interviewed by like a woman or by somebody who's like very clearly like 
invested in like women's LGBTQ non-binary issues or whatever, like people might mm-hmm. respond differently than they would if like, you know, a cishet straight dude like a Joe Rogan or something was asking them. So yeah. even that number, honestly, I'm like, I don't even know if I believe it. Yeah. No, I, I obviously think that I don't believe it either. And also yeah. like I I think that there is more like in 2022, there is more <clears throat> of a flavor that, you know, like like women's rights are something that obviously are being taken away and i think a lot of people are are responding to that and saying you know what that's that's an awful thing mm-hmm. i still don't know how many people would call themselves feminist and yeah. and also it, again this is the view of the mra it's just like the this idea that everybody's kind of putting going out to get them exactly. <clears throat> and so warren ends this long debate by with himself by saying <laughs> quote women who are adult enough to take responsibility for their choices will acknowledge their role in both war and oppression. And again, the choice he's talking about is the killer gene in men. <laughs> Excuse me? Their yeah. role in war? Mm-hmm. What their the role... hell would a woman's world be in war at that time? I don't know. And this is... So I looked into this further because I'm just like, okay, this is the 70s. Now, it was true that feminists didn't go on anti-war crusades, but it doesn't mean that all feminists were like this. It is absolutely wrong that feminists and women, this back then, were not part of the anti-war movement. So here's a quote from a female member of the Black Panthers calling for women to take up the revolutionary struggle. This is from the book, quote, Off with the Pigs, Off the Pigs, the History and Literature of the Black Panther Party. So quote, the Vietnamese women were out there fighting with their brothers, fighting against American imperialism with its advanced technology. They can shoot, they're out there with their babies on their back, and they're participating in the revolution wholeheartedly, just as the Vietnamese men are participating in the revolution in the national liberational struggle. The success of the national liberational struggle is just as much dependent upon the women continuing in the struggle it is dependent on the Vietnamese men. So basically saying, yes, there are many women who are not only participating in war, but also participating against the struggle. So this idea that Warrens thinks that women are not like responsible in trying to liberate like people in general in war, totally wrong. And this is in Vietnam in the 70s, what was going on in the 70s. To note, she was talking about the Vietnamese women fighting alongside the men in the war. However, in the US, a lot of women took up the progressive struggles of the time. And this is the anti-war movement that was going on in the 70s against Vietnam. However, and this is the situation that happens in activist circles, especially in the 70s, a lot of the male activists took advantage of them. So from the article Anti-War Activism and Emerging Feminism in the late 1960s, Marjorie Tan Tanbankin, an anti-war activist student in the University of Wisconsin, this is from 1965 to 1969, she states, quote, part of being a woman was the psychology of proving that I was such a good radical, so better than the men. We felt we were motivated by something higher because we didn't have to go to war ourselves. Most guys didn't take the women seriously, however. There were things to fuck. You went through this intense experience at demonstrations and you went back and had sex. But it's, it, the sex, was much more on the men's term. And so Deban can remember that she even did, had to do the laundry for progressive leaders like Tom Hayden. Even within progressive circles, it was difficult to break this idea of gender roles. And again, this is not... Seen not only 100 years before his time, you will see this later in 60 years time in the 2020s. So I like, again, it's a damned if you do, damned if you don't. Like you do it, you try to help out this anti-war struggle and you get fucked from from, like the progressive, the people that you're supposed to be helping you out, right? Like Mm -hmm. taking advantage of you. And if you don't, you were called 
you know, that you're not responsible for helping men in general. And if you do fight alongside them, you might get killed, but no one's going to give you credit for that. So yeah. again, it's just like this double bind that MRAs a lot love to put women into this idea of like, what choice does a woman have in this respect? You know what I mean? A hundred percent, because it's like, again, still kind of like operating within this cloak of male domination, right? Where it's like, we're after freedom, but our freedom always, always will be will come before yours. And you mm -hmm. as a woman are supposed to be supportive of me. And I can be supportive of you if you supported me first. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, mm -hmm. that's not really how that's going to work. That has nothing to do with liberation. Yep. It's just yep. another way to dominate. It's just another way to subjugate, but to look better while you're doing it, right? Like, yeah. I feel like this is like a perfect example of what, like the woke feminists or whatever. Like, mm -hmm. this is that's exactly what it is. I mean, I'm reminded of the activist that she was a Black Lives Matter activist. Her her first name was Oyin, I believe. Okay. I wish I knew her exact name. It's kind of difficult to pronounce, but she was killed by a fellow activist. He was like this girl. She was like 21 or something like that. Mm. And she was raped and killed by like mm. this kind of like more kind of like older like man or whatever in the community. And it's like you hear about that and people, you know, will be like, oh, you know, like, we remember Oyen, we remember her, we remember, you know, or them. I actually don't remember their pronouns, but, sure. you know, and it's like, that is, that hasn't, like, sparked any kind of, like, new debate around. I mean, no. people who have been talking about how fucked up, like, those, those like, halls are, are still talking about it. That's mm -hmm. not creating any kind of, like, it should create a systemic discussion, but it's not creating a systemic discussion because everything is still overall male-led and mm -hmm. it wants to continue to be male-led, but it wants to be like, oh, but we're nicer than yeah. the people before, right? Exactly. It's not about systemic change. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. It is like, it's it's either the de the devil you don't know or the devil you know, right? It's it's it very much, there's no real like positive movement for women to jump into immediately that's not really being led by women in general. Do you know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. it's like if you, if uh, I've heard, and this is very anecdotal and this, I, I haven't researched this at all, but I had definitely heard stories of like environmental activists, for example, having issues within their own activist organizations just because they're not heard or just because that they feel like, like there's a lot of voices that are missing and including people who are, you know, black indigenous or just people of color in general mm -hmm. that their voices are missing from the actual struggle. And that's just like the tiny bit. That's like the, out of all the problematic things, it is problematic, but like, and then it goes down to being like, being subjugated as as lower members of the actual the actual organization themselves and including things like sexual abuse and so it is like i place, yeah. i i hear that a lot through activist movement is something that needs to be kind of like like broadened out like get the fuck out of here kind of thing and also i don't blame specific women when they say i don't see myself a role in this thing even though i care about it deeply just because of some of the organizations involved. So I, mm -hmm. it's, I, I like, and this is why I say the specific quote, because from, from Marjorie, because I think it was, it's very indicative of that time being like, we kind of celebrate these people, like someone like Tom Hayden, for example, who has done a lot of like interesting and cool things. But this 
you know, this was the, 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 the situation at the time for women to try to get involved in these kind of like anti-war efforts. It's, mm -hmm. it was tough. And like Warren doesn't care about that shit. He doesn't, he doesn't, he just wants to put these women in the bind. He wants to put them to say that this is all your fault and nothing matters and and poor men that are going out to war and we are just have no choice in that and i'm like this is fucking nonsense it's fucking nonsense it, it really annoys me you know it is, i mean honestly and i just want to say this person's name correctly her name was oluwa toyin who mm -hmm. actually she she went by toyin salau rest in peace but what i was going to say was that I think later you're talking about the mythopoetics and like the Robert yes. Blyes and all of that. I think the thing that's still missing from this conversation, and like I got into the conversation around masculinity, the performance of masculinity for this very specific reason, is that mm -hmm. in this blame, in this subjugation, like men still don't realize, or at least these guys still don't realize that their freedom within when it comes to gender is directly tied to women in non-barrier force freedom yeah we're not free unless we're all free exactly like i and like it's a refrain that i feel like people have to keep saying or whatever mm -hmm. and i think that a lot of times when people who are from like a dominant group so to speak like hear that they're like oh you just want us to make space for you well number one of course and number two no, it's really actually like until you're able to actually take a whole take a whole look at the full picture of patriarchy and what that subjugation does and who it turns you into, that you are somebody who can who is unable to see other people's freedom without d domination, subjugation, and overpowering them. You will not be free. That's the, exactly. that's it. That's so it. So true. So true. You know? So true. So, so true. So true. I mean, I oof. yes, absolutely. I think that like the idea that we're not. <clears throat> free until everybody's free is like it's so profound it's such a simple thing but it, it needs to be repeated over and over again and again like i love that you mentioned the other episodes because you the cyclical thing is as well too not only through the mra circles but it is through progressive circles too like like we repeat the same mistakes again and again and again and it's so interesting how that happens and it's awful how that keeps repeating and not learning from the past and it, again one of the things i really took away from doing this exercise was how much i learned that things that i thought were just like oh this is just of this moment of this is just like happened here and i'm just like wow how my how naive i was <laughs> oh my god uh, i know like researching for masculinity i'm like oh there's nothing new to say because everything is the that's same said. <laughs> I know. it's been said and it's the same, the same i don't know if we're changed. capable of change i don't oh, know oh man this episode of modern manhood is brought to you by the alberta podcast network and pod power with PodPower, our sponsors are making it possible for us to amplify the voices of Albertans and Alberta podcasters like myself. This episode, Edmonton Community Foundation is helping us give a PodPower shout out to high level hip hop. CJSR, uh, the campus radio here in Edmonton presents high level hip hop to deep dive into Edmonton's hip hop scene and the artists helping shape it. The show takes a unique approach to introducing listeners to the OGs and the young bloods of Edmonton's hip-hop scene. The show is aimed at those who love local music but not have had a chance to fall in love with the city's surprisingly diverse hip-hop scene. 
So each episode features an interview with a local artist, plus a fresh track they recorded at CJSR. Check out episodes with Arlo Maverick, Please Be Nice, and more throughout the season. High Level Hip Hop is produced by CJSR, Edmonton's campus and community radio station, and download it wherever you find podcasts, or you can just go to highlevelhiphop.transistor.fm. That's highlevelhiphop, highlevelhiphop.transistor.fm. Marmanhood is also brought to you by the Alberta Blue Cross. And if you are running a small business, you know, it's tough. They understand that business owners in Alberta are usually pretty busy and they want to make sure they want to provide good group coverage to their employees. So let Alberta Blue Cross give you that peace of mind with a group benefit plan. So they offer health, dental, life, disability coverages to your employees. Alberta Blue Cross group benefit plans are easy to manage and they can be found anywhere and anytime on any device, making it easier for you and your employees to access. So to learn more and explore your options, head to ab.bluecross.ca. That's Alberta Blue Cross, ab.bluecross.ca. So this is, again, simple ahistorical view, what he constitutes sexism against men. But he knew two things that were going to get a lot of men to join was divorce and the draft. Like, those are the things that are like, I'm going to get on the men's right, the divorce and the draft are the two things that I want to get into. So again, this is the modern basis of what MRAs believe today. In fact, this is the main driving force between the MRAs at the time was something called father's rights. The right to be a caregiver and the right not to pay child custody. And it's a stark coincidence around that time that he changed from a pro-feminist to an anti-feminist. So, <laughs> guess what was going on around that time? <laughs> Farrell's own divorce was happening at this time. That you this don't is happening. <laughs> from Mother Jones' article titled "Men Men," quote: "The following year, he and his wife, who was a primary breadwinner, divorced." Farrell says that he still remembers the conversation that led to her, their split. He asked her who she would marry if he were to die. Someone like him or a type of man that she worked with. And she said, I feel I'd have a lot in common with another IBM executive who recalls. And I took a big, deep breath. And guess what? Farrell's ex-wife, Ursula, does divorce him and goes on to marry an IBM executive. <laughs> LOL. LOL. LMAO. Uh, <laughs> Farrell then goes on to claim that men are seen as disposable and connects it with the higher cases of suicide for men. He also claims in his next books, quote, why are men the way that they are, that female executives, especially good looking ones, wield a huge amount of power of men. And men are also objectified in some way, but not as a sex object, but a so-called success object. Yeah, this is where feminists stop talking to him. However, in an appearance, an Oprah Winfrey show, who honestly has a lot to answer to these days. Yeah, Oprah, what the hell? He blasts women. And who expect men to pick up a check in a dinner date? He responds, well, then what is the difference between you and a prostitute then? Well, but a woman, but when she's, when she's, when you say, well, when you no, say that a man can't afford you, basically guy. what you're asking the guy to do is take the money out and say, how much, honey? 20, 40? Yeah. And she just says it, right. would be you know what her answer would be it's that this money isn't good enough she wants the gold card there's there's what she wants see that 
Now, you know, was she, was she basically, was she, now you have to ask yourself That's a question. That's a good point. Is there any, wait, is there wait, any wait, difference? Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> <laughs> we have to ask, is there any difference between Abby and a prostitute? This appearance in Oprah makes Farrell's book, The Why Men Are We Are That Way, into a bestseller, where he takes the time to write the, his most quoted MRA book, The Myth of Male Power. Farrell is considered the godfather of MRAs and is still making talks and books today. That's Warren Farrell. Yeah. What are you, <laughs> Oprah, man? Like, I'm just like, what are you doing, Oprah? I, I know, like, okay, I gotta, because I talked about Oprah before. He, he also, she also does did an episode for the mythopoetic moment as well too at the same year so it was like 1991 he oh, had Will Ferrell and he had, she was, it was like a thing i guess that she was doing and like in the 90s like oprah was doing like the very like like sally jesse raphael kind of thing too where she's like i want to have like the most explosive things i'm going on in the show so that's what uh, she did like at that race episode right where she had like yeah. really white people come and like they were yeah 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 exactly like a lot of these stunt stunt stuff so I get it. But at the same time, I'm like, Oprah, dude, I'm surprised Oprah hasn't been canceled, honestly. <laughs> I mean, it's hard. It's hard for me. I, I Oprah has some cool podcasts that mm -hmm. sometimes inspire me. So it's hard. But yeah, I'm also just like, I, I understand like... that she's problematic in a lot of ways. Yeah. <laughs> so it wasn't all Farrell, of course. Like Farrell was just like one guy. He was just the most popular of the MRAs. During the 70s, though, there was a proto-movement of MRAs led by an organization called the Coalition of American Divorce Reform Elephants, 1971, which the men's right organization then spun off to in 1973. There's also an organization called Free Men, Inc., which was formed in 1977, and the National Organization of Men was founded in 1983. And Farrell was not the only prominent person who opposed now stance that in custody battles, the women should take full custody. He wasn't the, even the most prominent feminist. Karen DeCrow, who was the president of NOW from 1974 to 1977, also opposed the stance, even though her own organization backed it. DeCrow also was for abortions, however noted that if a woman takes a baby to term and the man opposed it, then it should be the woman's responsibility for that financial decision. Or as DeCrow says, autonomous women making independent choices, decisions about their lives should not expect men to finance their choice. DeCrow's words became one of those like feminists on our sides for the MRAs which you'll find a bunch. Another prominent men's right activist was Mark Angelucci, who led the National Coalition of Men. So this is the NCFM. So the NCFM where Warren Farrell sits on the board to this day. Now, the Southern Poverty Law Center says that the NCFM, quote, distorts statistics to indicate female privilege, scapegoat women for the unfounded gripes, or create false equivalencies between the oppressions of men and of women. Groups like the NCFM use litigation to challenge what they perceive as discrimination against men and try to influence policy on domestic violence, sexual assault, divorce, and custody cases. And one of them being outing alleged sexual assault victims whose cases were dis dismissed for lack of evidence or those so-called false accusers. So they involve like with doxing outing. women. Wow. Yeah, okay. pretty much. Eh? Yeah, pretty, uh, pretty cool guys. Interesting and as well to just, uh, this is beyond, this is besides this because Canada just recently passed a law, a Supreme Court law in regards to like shielding and helping rape victims and very survivors, sorry, <clears throat> in regards to bringing up evidences in court because of the John Gomesh. Do you know it's a John Gomeshi trial? Did that cross over in the US? I don't believe so. John Gomeshi was this famous, at the time, CBC like presenter. He was involved in this accusation. This is actually before me too. 
he was involved in this this court case where a lot of women came up and said they like got abused by John Gomeshi. In the case, a lot of the women were brought up to stand to be witnesses, but there are a lot like a lot of them were discredited in the stand by using <clears throat> evidence that they didn't see at that time. And then the women didn't have like they had lawyers, but they they weren't there to like protect themselves as well <clears throat> in the law. So they really they were kind of like blindsided by a lot of the evidence that came out. And a lot of the evidence was like, you know, why did you contact John Gameshi after this alleged assault happened? Or why did you connect? Yeah. Like, and it's also like, like victim this, blaming. Exactly. Yeah. Very much victim blaming, very much mm -hmm. like you're like, they didn't fit the model of the, the rape survivor at the time. And so John Gameshi was said not guilty in this case, but Canada just recently passed a law that said you can't, you, women or the people who, uh, were rape survivors and they wanted to show specific cases of like, uh, like text messages and things like that. They had to be seen before they brought up to the, to the actual trial itself. So they have to see the evidence before that actually happens. This just recently happened, honestly, and I think it's great. And I think it just provides a lot more protection for people who are rape survivors and also just not people to be blindsided in court, just like what this happened. Cause this was mm -hmm. awful. It was absolutely awful. It's the reason, the reason why I say is because people like the NCFM will probably use this kind of litigation. They probably use this kind of blindsiding in regards to accusations. Um, That's so violent. Mm-hmm. That's so violent. Yeah. Very violent. Very violent. And yeah, and like, it's interesting. That case is very interesting in regards to like how much Canadian law has changed because of that case. It was really awful. Mark Angelucci, though, he was a lawyer who led a lot of lawsuits in regards to men's rights. One of the most famous being the National Coalition for Men versus Selective Service System, where Angelucci argued that there was no reason to exclude women for the draft. This was defeated in 2020, but the NCFM still has this dirty little clause in the world today. In 2017, Betsy DeVos invited a bunch of MRA organizations, including the NCFM, to, to the summit on Title IX. DeVos then rolled back guidance on reporting, investigating, and responding to campus sexual assault allegations Betsy DeVos, man. <laughs> Just like the worst. The absolute ever. worst. It's the like the absolute least worst. qualified person doing some of the most ridiculous damage to like systemic anything in the United yeah. States. It's completely wild. Yeah. Absolutely. That w awful, awful, like just awful things that she's done. And the NCFM was a big part of this as well, too. So these men's rights organization was a big thing. This was awful. Mark Angelucci had a lot to do with this. But the most interesting thing about Mark Angelucci was really his death. He was murdered in his house as he was picking up a package. So the FBI has noted that there may be a link to his murder with the murder of Judge Esther Salas' son, Daniel. Do you know the Esther Salas case? No. Is this, is this also is this Canadian or is this American? No, this is American. Oh, I need to look into that. <clears throat> yeah. Esther Salas' son daniel was murdered and shot by she was shot by an mra named roy den hollander now there is an idea that den hollander killed all of them and then himself because i think den hollander had a beef with angelusi as well as esther salas this is considered one of a very few direct mra murderers there's no hard specific proof that den hollander killed angelucci but den hollander definitely killed like Daniel Salas. <laughs> and so this is considered like an MRA murder, like oh. an MRA who actually murdered somebody. Yeah, look up Esther Salas. You don't have to do that right now, but like, do yeah. yeah. 
But as you know, sadly, this is not the first violence done by anti-feminists to others. In 1989, I, we have to acknowledge, and this is where we're talking about Montreal, the Ecole Polytechnique murders in Montreal. So I'll give you some context warner. This has to do with lots of like murders. Is that, that hard murder? If you haven't heard this story, it's a hard one. So this is where a murderer went into the Ecole Polytechnique to specifically kill feminists. He would go into classrooms and ask that the people in it were feminist and then kill them. In his suicide letter, the killer blamed feminists for seeking social change that, quote, retained the advantages of being women while trying to grab those of the men. After the attack, <clears throat> which shocked a lot of Canadians, <clears throat> the suicide letter was found where his motives were mentioned. A lot of people downplays this as some crazy man. And of course, of course and a lot of conservatives and MRAs were trying not to have it overstated by any societal meeting, as usually happens, like some crazy lone gunman kind of thing. However, the survivors of the attack could not shake the fact that this was a directed attack, specifically at feminists. It was from the voices of them that we know what this attack is at the, about in the end. Like they were the ones who fought about having the suicide letter published because it specifically said, this is what this is about. This is about him wow. thinking about killing feminists. It was a big debate during that time being like, should we publish this? Should we make this a bigger issue? There was a lot of conversations around that at this time about the idea of, of anti-feminists and murders of anti-feminists in Canada. And of course, there's this big legacy in regards to the Ecole Polytechnique murders. However, this is still this weird commentary around the Montreal Massacre, as it's called, that men, did, and I've heard this literally maybe like five years ago, that men did not do enough to help the women in the school. And some journalists blame the culture of passivity. Because what he did, what the, what the murderer did was say, raise your hand if you're a feminist. And a lot of women like raised their hand and they said, everybody out of the room except for you people. And, and that included a lot of the men just kind of left the classrooms and then the murderer shot all the people in the classroom. And so a lot of people kind of blamed the men for not helping out the women in the school. And some journalists called it like, this is the culture of passivity. They're a bunch of pussy men and blah, 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 things like that. So, yeah. How do you and feel it, about that? It's awful. <laughs> it is the same thing as like, like, I understand the idea that like, why did nobody stop this person? But I'm also like, this is a man with a gun. Like, like you're in your, your, like your self-defense mode. Like you're not like thinking right you're not like doing like critical thinking skills at the time it's like i i don't blame the men for not doing things i and also like they thought like these and it comes from like conservative politicians that were like oh this is because of the the quote-unquote pussification of society that of no course. men stood up and blah 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 so that it's the stupid thing and and honestly <clears throat> the survivors were mostly women corrected that narrative and said like this is no none of the survivors blamed men for not standing up for this this was just an awful incident that happened you know what who's i mean who's sexist so, now like what are you yeah, talking about exactly you know? yeah exactly like, like who's sexist wild. now <laughs> yeah that is absolutely wild so not only some of the media blamed this as an individual act there were some who even accused the feminists themselves of instrumentizing the tragedy a lot of them were anti-feminist and MRAs because these vocal feminists were saying these things about social reform. They became sort of like perpetrators in their own massacres. They were just like, oh, because you were talking so loudly about reform <clears throat> that obviously violence was going to come to you. Like, again, this is like this victim blaming 
mentality. Like, again. Status quo maintenance. <laughs> status quo maintenance. Yeah, for sure. Damned if you do, damned if you don't. Mm -hmm. Like, so you don't stand up for your rights, then shit will happen to you. But if you do stand up for your rights, then shit will happen to you. Like, yeah. where do you go, right, from that? Yeah. So it's, just, it's ridiculous. And then, of course, missing the point, right, of like, Where's the bigger conversation about like, because I wonder even in this within the context of this, that they talked about like, okay, he went and mostly killed women. Mm -hmm. So like, even if they're not feminists, like, can we talk about why this person is just like going in with the, uh, like, to kill women specifically? Like, can that be a conversation? I mean, yeah. Yeah. Based on the way that things are going now, I can tell that it probably wasn't. I mean, I don't know, maybe. There was a lot of conversation <clears throat> within the, after these murders happened, there was a lot of things. And, you know, do you know the White Ribbon campaign? Yes. Yes, I do. Yeah, the White Ribbon campaign it. came specifically out of the Montreal massacre. Uh -huh. Like, so they mm -hmm. became kind of this idea that, like, we should be able to not take violence against women. So it is became, that yeah. became kind of part of that narrative. Um, I, I meant more system. I mean, I, I understand that a lot of, like, mm -hmm. resistance, resistance movements, of course, happened. But, like, kind of like this national, like, how there's, like, mm -hmm. this national conversation where people are coming out and being like, well, women should have protected, like, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, can we have a bigger conversation yeah. about, like, you know, like, systemically, you know? But, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And yeah. you know what? I give credit a lot of this to the survivors of this, of the of the Montreal massacres, because they were the ones who really pushed this narrative of being like, this is a systemic issue. They pushed also the idea that we need to publish this suicide note because people need to know yeah. about what, what he was trying to plan. So <clears throat> the murder... Actually, in his suicide note, mentioned that he was upset that, again, this is one of those things where it's like, it, I'll tell you why. He was upset because he couldn't get into school and he blamed because of like women going in more into a, a polytechnic college, which is like kind of like a trade school, more of a, like a, yeah, more of a trade school. And he said, well, you're inviting more women into this college because of equality. However, I'm not getting into it because of this. And because this person thought that he couldn't get an economic income, therefore he started blaming women, started blaming the feminist. And this is the reason why he did this murder. Again, it's one of those things where it's like, you're not only not like this person didn't see like the capitalist structure around it of him not being able to get a proper education and not being able to get a proper job in Canada at that time. And also, what did he blame? What did he put all of his energy towards? It mm -hmm. was towards women and it's towards feminists. And obviously that must have come from something. That must have come from somewhere else. Like that idea hasn't just been implanted in his head just all of a sudden, like like I don't know, like this like random thought. It must have come from other people. So Mm -hmm. this is where the conversation is like where did these people come from and it has to be this was 1986 right 1989 sorry this like the mra movement was going on around that time there was a lot of questions around feminism like anti-feminist at that time so of course this must have come from somebody so like mm -hmm. it's it's such an obvious parallel but people are still like just unwilling to engage the thing and i really it really reminds me of the parallels of like the christ the Christchurch massacre, like just like this person put out this very blatant manifesto yeah. and people are still questioning it being like, Oh, how did you like, maybe it's just this lone person. Like, how did you get this information? I'm like, it's out there. Like, this is so obvious. It's so obvious, you know? Yeah. I mean, and I think like it kind of goes back to this, this 
I don't know, this weird fascination, this like culture of romanticization of romanticization of violence, where to some degree, I feel like in like our patriarchal like weave or whatever that is a society, there's this notion that violence is the answer, right? Mm -hmm. It's like we don't want to admit that because it's bad and people get hurt. But at the end of the day, people feel like violence is something that we need. It's something that we should use. And then, of course, like within that that context of violence, there are hierarchies. There are people who are going to get it the worst. There are people who are going to wield it the most. And that's the order that we're working in. And so, you know, yeah. we get by by being able to dis dismiss it as like, you know, these one-offs and stuff. And it's like, well, no, it's a fabric of literally the culture that, you know, we've been living in and has been created and is going to continue to be that way until we actually like confront it systemically you know mm -hmm. yep so absolutely absolutely mm. and yeah like i said and like before in the mri world women are constantly in a double bind they're constantly in a damage to do them if you don't being not only the people who are being attacked but also being blamed for the attack itself and this is noted in many of Farrell's writings. And I'm going to end this episode on an example where Farrell is trying to, quote unquote, myth bust the idea that rape has nothing to do with sexual attraction. It is a pretty shitty quote. I'm going to just let you know. Quote, what are we really doing when we ignore the role of sexual attraction? We are ignoring our responsibility as a culture for reinforcing men's addiction to female sexual beauty and then depriving men of what we've helped addict them to. We will not be willing to stop reinforcing men's addictions to beautiful women until we are willing to stop the benefits that beautiful women receive when men's addictions gets boys and men's to perform for women, pay for women, pursue women, and give women the option to raise money or raise children, even as he has no option but to raise money. This is the toxic idea of the power of sexual attraction. <laughs> so we're going to see a lot more of it when we'll see more of the massacres that lead up to it in the next few decades i think this is very much the like the idea of like the incel movement where this kind of idea comes from of like women have the power not only through sexual attraction but also feral being like like well i can't stop men being attracted to 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 women and therefore i cannot stop them doing bad things about that too unless women actually step up to you know, take responsibility in their idea of privilege, what they think of as privilege. So again, it's a shitty fucking quote. <laughs> it's a shitty fucking idea. Yeah. And that he thinks that, that, you know, rape has nothing to do with sexual. And I'm just like, I, it's. It can't be serious. It can't be serious. And it's awful. Yeah. And I'm sorry to leave you on that quote. <laughs> but that well, is Warren Farrell. <laughs> Warren Farrell, everyone. Let me, sorry, let me just double check my charger because sure. I think, it, yeah. Okay. Yeah, 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 go ahead. <clears throat> Had to grab the other one. Something's wrong with this. Anyway, thanks. that's okay. We're almost done here. Yeah. So what did you uh, think of this is the 80s and 90s movement. And, and of course, like this doesn't stop. This is just at the start of it, of what the modern MRA movement looks like. We're going to talk later on about the 2000s and what happens with the manosphere because that is its own little thing.
but it, it is a continuation. This that, That's not its own little vacuum in itself. Like you mentioned, everything is connected. And mm-hmm. this is the connection to that. So, but before the Manosphere, what, what, what did you think about our boy Warren Farrell? I think that Warren Farrell is like many people who fall into an unfortunate personal situation and mm-hmm. then decide to wax poetic about all of society and essentially kind of create this like bubble around like what they're dealing with and like apply it to everyone around them. And unfortunately, I think that enough people kind of identify with that, that, you know, he was able to gain some steam. But at the end of the day, like this is a man scorned, you know, at the end of the day, like, I think that his flip is about his anger toward his ex-wife and therefore Mm -hmm. anger toward women, which happens a lot. And that's not to say that, like, I don't want to, like, kind of get into this conversation of, like, and men do it to, and women do it to men too, whatever, because this isn't what this is about. It's about a patriarchal system that says that they want people to be free, but then only so much, right? Mm -hmm. Only Mm -hmm. so much. And I think that, you know, Warren Farrell is a perfect example of that. Like, Saying something like, I can't, like, I can't believe this quote, you know? Like, I understand Mm -hmm. that he's from a specific time, but it's like the notion that people existing and just happening to be physically attractive grants them this, like, insurmountable power that somehow hasn't been able to get us equal pay, hasn't been able to get us reproductive rights, like, sustainably, Mm -hmm. hasn't been able to get us in a space where we're actually systemically like benefited outside of the whole child custody thing, which by the way is still a product of patriarchy, mm-hmm. is asinine. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. It's asinine. But it's the perfect note to end on because it literally is the like it's almost kind of like a founding principle, essentially, of the of the the men's rights movement and honestly of just like misogyny and sexism. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. Absolutely. It is such an ex- it is such a clear example of like not only misogyny, sexism, but also just like general like like I'm always like what the fuck are you talking about? Like like general like like confusion and general like just not understanding how the world works. And I'm I'm always very curious with Pharaoh because I'm just like He's a smart man. Like, he has, like, a PhD. Like, he has many degrees. Like, how do you come to these conclusions that are so myopic, that are so simplified? How do you get so upset about an officer and a gentleman, but not actually, like, understanding what goes on to make a movie specifically? And I think about that a lot with, like, our modern-day, quote-unquote, intellectuals. (laughs) Like, people like Jordan Peterson, and I'm just like, you're smart enough to know this shit. Like, how do you, how are you so, like, dense and just obtuse about all of this? It just doesn't make sense. And I, I'm always curious. I'm like, are you saying this to be a grifter or are you saying this because you believe it? But for the more I read about him, I'm just like, you actually believe this shit. And this is the, the, the shit thing that I, that I, 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 I believe with Beryl. I could be totally wrong, but this is coming from him. Like these are not quotes I made up. <laughs> like this is these are in writing. <laughs> like yeah. I just I it's I I cannot 
I, I, and it's not taken out of context. Like I will post all the notes. You can read them yourself. And is it's not something that I just like pulled out of thin air. It, it he had this whole that whole debate that he had of himself. I could have pulled twenty quotes from that and more on that, and you still would have understood like what the shit thing that he's that he's going through. And it's yeah. I'm, I was flabbergasted when I read all that because I honestly wanted to give him like, I'm like, there's got to be more to him. Because when I was doing Robert Bly, for example, I was just like, you know, he's kind of interesting. He's like, you know, he's, he's some of his ideas are a little bit messed up, but like, I kind of get where he's coming from. But with Farrell, I'm just like, I don't know what the fuck you're coming from. <laughs> you know? <laughs> well, it's interesting because I feel like he's one. I mean, when I think of this person, right, the first person that comes to mind is Reagan. I mean, not because... Mm-hmm. Because of the turn, mm. right? And it's yeah. like, you yeah. have to wonder, like, what the, the the motivation was to begin with. It's like, you know, I mean, obviously Reagan's not gender or anything like that, but it's just like you run with whatever is going to give you the most steam. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, I know that he believes it, but to some to some degree, it's like the the ability to be able to unite and hate does nothing for his freedom or his liberation as a man or whatever, the things that he originally was caring for. But it does give the sense of like, like hate is strong, you know, and it's like it unites, you know, creates community. And Mm -hmm. he's seen as more powerful because he's mad than understanding. So it's like, it's a weird kind of, it's a, it's just a weird thing. Like, I'm like, you know, to your point about, you know, like, that's not how you put it. But in my mind, I was like, does misogyny trump intellect, intellect, like does misogyny does sexism, does sub or, or the need for subjugation, or does the ego trump intellect? And I have to say, probably yeah, for a lot yeah, of people, maybe. you know. And I don't think yeah. that's even like specific to like the isms. I think that's probably for a lot of folks. So I'm, yeah, no, I kind of agree yeah. with you. I, I really do. I think, and I think that there's a reason why Farrell would became as popular as he did, and not only to the feminist, but also to the anti-feminist. And it's it's there's a, some sort of like characteristic that he has where he's like there is a sense of anger and passion that he has what he's before he's writing and what he's saying in both sides and it's so i don't know i find it really interesting and yeah reagan is an interesting parallel to this in the 80s especially reagan and thatcher at the time it's just like there was these rampant rampant capitalism and that was they thought it was like the golden age of those times and this idea that yeah, no, this can't be capitalism is wrong. Look at what's going on. Like we're like everything's doing great. Like, and it's just not understanding the the bottom line of what's going on in those movements. So, mm-hmm. really? and Thatcher only being able to rise to where she was because she believed that wholeheartedly and like fell into a patriarchal, mm-hmm. you know, mode that you know, but that she eventually became powerful over, right? But then, of course, you know. Yeah, making it tougher for a lot of people around her. Anyway, yeah, yeah, so. no, it's a good point. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Samantha, I really appreciate you coming for this one. I know this is a tough one to do, but I was like, I'm so glad that you did this. I, I really appreciate it. Oh, no problem. Hopefully, I was like a little bit thoughtful. I felt like no, I was mostly angry, but that's okay. I feel like no, it's an angry course. situation. Of course, so, of course. But, um, no, yeah. it was so good. I and uh, where can we find you? Where can we find all the cool stuff that you're doing? You can find me at Samantha L underscore N on Twitter if you want to hear me rant. But other than that, uh, Masculinity Pod will be making a comeback this summer. So nice. look out for that. That's Masculinity spelled with a K. We'll be talking about hip hop and we'll be talking about anger, which I feel is probably pretty 
get to this. With this, yeah, with this, with this episode. So yeah, 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 awesome. Yeah. And yeah, and as always, as I end this and end any episode of Omar Manhood, if you like what we do, just go on over to nextgenman.ca and go to nextgenman.ca/join and sign up and uh, be able to continue the conversation. We're probably going to continue the conversation as these episodes air and just talk about some of the stuff that we've garnered, we've. Uh, listen to and uh, hopefully yeah we'll get your more of a point about it too so so that was the men's right movement the start of the men's right movement anyways the MRMs and the MRA community is still continues on to this day um, it's something that will not go away <laughs> it's still it's kind of died down however in the next future episodes, we're going to talk about how that shifted once the internet comes into play and how not only does the internet uh, make things a lot worse, it also makes things um, spread these ideas a lot further on. So we'll talk about those things in a future episode. However, in our next episode, we're going to talk about the mythopoetic movement. And that's a movement that, again, still has is roots in today and some of the organizations that you hear about in regards to men's communities but it also brings a really interesting character in the movie Robert Bly. I'm really glad you stick around to the end of this episode to, to hear me talk and also I'm so glad that you listen to Modern Manhood in general. In the meantime though make sure you check out nextgenmen nextgenmen.ca slash support um, if you like what we do, check out all the other uh, podcasts as well, too, just like Areca Beluda and Masculinity, like Samantha is saying, it will have a new season coming out soon here. As well, if you want to hear our timely takes on masculinity in general, check out Cold Takes on nextgenmen.ca or even just Google Cold Takes, nextgenmen. You'll find it on Spotify, you'll find it on Pocket Cast, you'll find it wherever you find your amazing podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for sticking around. And we'll see you next time on Modern Manhood.